Welcome to Meaningful Desire. This is part three of my reading of Forrest Landry's book, An Imminent Metaphysics. In part two, we discussed paragraphs four, five, six of the introduction, where we mostly talked about why the book was written in such terse and even quite technical manner to achieve clarity and also to, in a way, prevent misunderstandings on the part of the author and the reader and, in a way, future-proof the content of the book. In this part three, we will be finishing the introduction. I will be reading paragraphs 7 to 13. And after this, then we could dive into the, the meat of the book, so to speak. All right. The process of learning and the finding of truth, capital T, is more effective when one searches for what is true rather than for what is for that which is false. It is far less useful and meaningful to be convinced of something or to spend all of one's time to try to find a way to disprove or contradict some assertion that is disliked. Such rejection is usually based on a misunderstanding and thus fails to attain anything other than a common confusion. It is far more effective to consider for each assertion made the insight that it offers and the manner in which such insight may be applied. It is hoped that the reader will recognize and eventually come to trust that there is a reason for every word and statement, every particularity of phrasing in these aphorisms. To search for meaning is to find it. To fail to search for meaning is to be without it. The aphorisms in this manuscript refer to one another and are mutually interdependent. Some aspects of the meaning of each aphorism will only become clear when, when reading other areas of the text. As such, the reader is encouraged to always continue forward and develop comparisons rather than become stuck at any particular point in trying to understand one individual statement. The reader should not expect to immediately comprehend all of the aspects of the various meanings and implications of each statement made. Reading through the entire manuscript more than once is necessary to complete understanding. Although the aphorisms have been sequenced in such a manner as to encourage a gradual building of understanding and concept, there is no requirement that they be read in a specific order. The reader is encouraged to occasionally skip around and read those sections and areas of the book that seem more interesting in the moment. Even though the reader may skip many sections in following their interests, those sections that are chosen for reading should be read very slowly and with total feeling and thoughtfulness. Do not try to skim or read quickly through any part of this text. Skipping text is not skimming text. Approach each statement with full attention and when you are otherwise at peace of mind. 
consider the meaning and phrasing of each statement fully and completely from multiple viewpoints before proceeding to the next. By design, aphorisms implicitly contain several meanings and concepts in addition to those ideas more overtly stated. In most cases, individual assertions can be interpreted in more than one manner, and many of the statements presented have carefully considered and multi-layered meanings. Whenever, wherever possible, each interpretation and connotation has been considered and assured to be metaphysically valid in multiple contexts. Each individual aphorism is intended to be a basis for deep reflective consideration. Such meditation will reveal insights into concepts and aspects which are, for brevity, merely implied. It is better to read a little bit at a time, at some consistent interval, a few aphorisms at least once daily, than it is to attempt to read many pages at once in one sitting, as with a normal book. It is a good practice to meditate for a short interval, both before and after attempting to read any portion of this book. Also, to get more value from the content, the reader is encouraged to consider each passage on more than one occasion at varying times of the day and season. In rereading within a changed context, one is likely to find that points which seemed confusing at first are now much easier to understand. Due to the integrative nature of this metaphysics, some of the deeper implications will only become apparent on multiple meditative reflections and re-readings. Some connections between ideas, reflections, and continuations will only be known when one has read far enough into the text to have encountered alternate ends of the same thought. Awesome. Now I invite you to pre press pause so that you may reflect on what I've just read. And then after you've had your moment of reflection, you can press play and to hear my reflection. Yay! Yeah, it's interesting that um, I'm reading this section at this point in time. I just recently posted something on Facebook that the effect that I hereby release myself from the need or want to convince anyone of anything. And Forrest mentions here that it's more effective to look for meaning rather than to disprove something and try to be convinced by it. Yeah, so I think I need to distinguish it with the falsification in the scientific method. That's different because that's within the context of an experiment. You set up an experiment to try to disprove a hypothesis, a theory. And, and when you can't disprove it or you haven't found a way to disprove it, then that will, the theory will stand. That's different than fault finding or 
purposely trying to bring down an idea without first getting what's the thing I can get from this. Yeah, so in a way he gives an example of an apparition to, to look for meaning is to find it and to not look for it is to be without it. Yeah, and another aphorism or a principle I try to live in my everyday life, which relates to this, is when someone says something or does something, interacts with me, I take what's useful and drop the rest. I find that this way really, really helped me have a better life really and a, a clearer mind and less less emotional countenance. Yeah, and also the way he says is to read, he recommends to read like an aphorism each day, reflect on it and read it more than once. So. I will try to be doing that in this uh, series, barring any other conflicting things I need to do. I'll try to do one each day and do a reflection on it. And this reminds me of really focusing on process rather than product. You know, like uh, a part of me was conditioned by university where the focus is on the exam or the, the project. There's a lot of cramming happening at the end. And it's like learning to the test or um, putting all the effort towards the last project. Whereas an alternative could be to do little bits every day and and really imbibe it, own it. I'm also reading this book by Osho where he talks about, I'm just, I just started reading it. It's called An Independent Mind. And he talks about how like an independent mind or a positive mind tries to discard thoughts that are not one's own. So he, he likens thoughts that are passed on from one person to another are quite dirty. So I think there's a lot of that happening in, in the culture wars happening at the moment where it's even become a meme or a joke that some people behave like non-playable characters. They're just regurgitating ideologies and you can't even really okay you just uh, you seem to be speaking a script but what do you think how is this relevant to your particular life and yeah sad to say I've encountered a few of these people particularly in social media and there's really no I don't know I tried but every every they, they seem to see things in particular lenses and there's no 
at least in my experience, there's no way to get them out of it. And and the only way I got through a few of them is to explain what I was trying to say within their framework. But then it's hard to get them out of that. But the challenge is that every framework is limited. So if they see something from a postmodern lens, it has its merit, it has its value, but by virtue of it being a construct itself, a lens itself, it will have limitations. It, it will never be complete. Like modernism won't be complete or archaic way of looking at it or the scientific viewpoint. These are all parts. It's like the the blind people touching the different parts of a big elephant. So there's that. And in this last bit of the introduction, Landry also talks about each aphorism is linked or mutually interdependent. Yeah, we'll see that as we go along. But him saying that reminded me of when I was watching Jordan Peterson's lectures on the Bible, and he says that somebody made an analysis of each part of the Bible and how many how many of the passages they're linked to each other, and it's quite a dense linking of different parts. And it seems to be that a lot of this analysis, a lot of this way of looking at things is converging towards networks. A lot of things are not being looked at from the perspective of networks. There's, there's actually a few few books that came out on networks, you, like Anne-Marie Slaughter wrote one, and then Niall Ferguson wrote one on networks. And way back in the early or mid-2000s, oh no, 2005 or something, I read um, The Wealth of Net Networks by Yokai Benkler. So th there seems to be, and of course, in terms of technology, we have a lot of uh, machine learning technologies based on these neural networks kind of thinking. So it's interesting that uh, I forgot who said this, um, but someone said that during the time of the steam engine and the locomotive, a lot of things, including actually entropy, the way we look at entropy was based on the steam engine. So there's like a, the, the primary technology of an epoch kind of dictates even the way people analyze things. And now that the internet is kind of one of the primary enabling technologies of our time and the internet is a, in, it's a network of networks, everything <laughs> or most things are now being looked at as networks. So I wonder what the next bit will be. I don't know when I'm also reading this book on like Jamie Metzl on the book on hacking Darwin and and he actually paints an interesting future where a lot of what we'll be doing is biologically based, you know, it will be genetics, it will be 
hacking evolution itself and extending life and designer babies and you know, it's like a interesting future and it's coming fast and a lot of whilst in countries like the US where there's a lot of obstacles to to this biological tinkering with life engineering biologically engineering life because of religious beliefs in places like China and Korea and some parts of the former USSR, there's no such hindrance and they're going full speed ahead. And yeah, we don't know what, what's going to come out of that. But it's, also, it's good to think about that. I would possibly, in when we go to the meat of the ethics in, in this metaphysics, would be using some of Forrest Landry's frameworks to analyze analyze um, the ethical questions posed by this biologically engineered future. So that's that will be it for this for the by way of introduction. Let me just see if let me just see if I have another thing to say before I end this one. Oh yeah, I also like the way when he, Forrest Landry, differentiated between scheming and skipping. He said that we don't need to read the book sequentially, but if you're gonna skip, don't skim. So don't don't just try to not get it, you know, just quickly go through it like to finish a book again it's about oh it's a product i finished the book it's more about the process of are you really getting each part of the book so i really like how he differentiated skipping and skimming yeah and we shall see as we go along if what he said is true that some of the ideas, reflections, and continuations I'll be doing as we go along will get better as we go further in the book because they will be cross-referring to each other. So, yeah, uh, similarly to how the brain works, you know, neurons that fire together become entangled together. So the more, the more, that's why they say it's better to learn it's good to learn things from different perspectives because if you keep firing the neuron, neurons in, in, in the network, then the, the axons and the dendrites form that link and that link will be like the memory or the skill that, that is related to that. So, yeah, again, it's a, which can also be related to quantum mechanics where the, the concept of an entanglement. So when a quantum system gets entangled, then it holds because it's entangled with the bigger system. Because it's one quantum function of the universe. So if a, if a particle is not entangled with the whole universe, then it can have superposition. But once that particle is entangled 
with the rest of the universe, then it's no longer in superposition. So that's why we don't, without creating, because we are also, like I am, a human being is also made of the same quantum particles. So when we observe things, we entangle the thing we're observing to us. That's why it loses the superposition. Yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting that they're all these things are linking, linking to, with each other, which kind of proves the point of Forrest Landry in this introduction, that something clicks when, when things get linked. And lastly, I want to say that um, one of my definitions of creativity is being able to connect the dots. And the more dots that I have, the more chances of connecting. So yeah, so I guess that's, that's a tip for anyone who wants to improve their creativity. Just learn a lot of random things. You One may not know when they will come handy. The more things that are there, the more dots that one has in their stored knowledge, stored memory, the more chances of them connecting at some later point when, when one is either presented with a problem that needs to be solved or when one is in the shower or, is, or in this diffused mode of thinking and things just come from the unconscious. <laughs> right. So we'll end this and um, lo really looking forward to the next part where we dive into the actual metaphysics itself now that we've finished this introduction. See you then.